Welcome to the Lasallian Way Online, a digital series produced by Christian Brothers University's Center for Digital Instruction in Memphis, Tennessee. In each episode, we focus on topics in online education and approach them from the Lasallian tradition. St. John Baptist de LaSalle created a culture of student-centered teaching and learning focused on transforming the whole person. We aspire to follow the LaSallian way online. Welcome to another installment of Christian Brothers University's Center for Digital Instruction's podcast, The LaSallian Way Online. I am your host, Dr. Dale Hale, and I'm the director of CBU Center for Digital Instruction and the Dean of the Global College. Today's podcast is our chance to introduce you to a couple of our new voices, brand newly unwrapped, our new instructional designers. At the same time, we're going to take a little bit of time to talk about the importance of good instructional design and the place of instructional designers in today's educational market. But before we get started, we're going to take a few minutes to introduce ourselves along with our special guest. We're happy to have Dr. James Haar, and we'll have him introduce himself momentarily. Before we get to Dr. Haar, we'll start first with Chantel. Hello everyone, Chantel Bryant here. I am one of the instructional designers in the, on the CDI team. So excited to be here with you today. Just, uh, just over two and a half years, I believe, um, that I've been here with the group now. So looking forward to, the, to today's discussion. Great, Scott. Hi, I'm Scott McPherson. I'm a new instructional designer here at CBU. I started in September, I believe. So right about two and a half, three months uh, into the program. Great, and then John. Hello, my name is John Kohlenberg. I'm the latest of the uh, team members, uh, instructional designer, uh, joined at CBU just at the beginning of October. Fabulous. Um, would like to introduce Dr. James Haar. Uh, Dr. Haar, would you uh, give us a little bit of, of your history, just brief, um, and then tell us what you do here at CBU? Yeah, so um, firstly, thank you for having me on. This is, this is a wonderful opportunity to get to get to know everyone and, and talk about the kind of work that I do. But um, my background, um, I've been kind of on and off online teaching for uh, about 10 years, um, first through a community college called Wake Tech uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina, and then through uh, NC State University, uh, also in Raleigh. So I have some experience there, but um, I moved to Memphis in July uh, after finishing a postdoc in data science uh, at, at NC State and finishing my PhD in communication, rhetoric, and digital media, where I, and this always confuses people, um, studied medieval studies and digital technology. Uh, so the integration of and the overlap of medieval manuscripts from the 13th century, petitionary texts, and how they create both, um, how we can look at them as uh, digital and, and physical objects, but also um, how we can investigate them using uh, social network analysis. So it was a lot of fun, and so I'm here in the uh, literature and languages uh, department, uh, the English department, uh, teaching both British lit and digital humanities. So there's a there's a nice uh, opportunity to kind of bring those into to my teaching. But um, yeah, so um, it's been a great semester so far at, at CBU. Great, we're we're happy to have you, and it sounds like our whole team could sit uh, in your class and learn a lot about digital. Um, media and, and the way that we can use that to best put our message out. 
Well, I, I, I try to do that. I, I try to, you know, make a lot of my stuff, even my literature classes, as useful for students who are not English majors and have to take it as a general studies class. Um, you know, we've all taken classes in college where we're like, okay, let's just check the box and get out of here. And so I, I try to make it as applicable to their individual um, interests and their, um, their academic pursuits as possible by bringing in that digital stuff. Sometimes it's coding, sometimes it's creating uh, visualizations using like Tableau. Sometimes it is uh, one student is doing a, a gamification of Dr. Uh, Faustus using Python script and, um, and bringing in a GUI that can make uh, the user experience a lot more uh, enjoyable than just going off of a, a, what you typically see with a Python program. So um, anyway, yeah. Yeah, that's great. You, we won't go too far down this, this road. In fact, we shouldn't go down this road, but just it's an interesting discussion. We had, I think it was just yesterday, talking about gamification in education. And the when I first heard about it, I thought, it, you know, never should games be included in education. But the introduction of all of this, uh, I think, should be able to help us understand how we can teach better and that games really do engage the learner. So I, I'm looking forward to learning more from you, uh, Dr. Har, along this line. But that's not what today is about. I'd love to talk more about that, but not today. So this is about instructional design. And what is the place of the instructional design professional? And how are they used in various... Um, in, in the varying industries out and about. So team, well, even Dr. Har, join in on this. What is important about an instructional design professional? I'd love to jump in there. Um, one thing that I love about the instructional design profession, and of course I would say this because <laughs> it's my profession, but I love that one, we are we are trained and our training never ends. We are constantly digging and trying to learn more. Um, it's, it's, it's just something that I enjoy to do um, as well. But the second part and the part that I really love about it is that we are there to assist and support and help. And so um, again, that's something that's never ending and it's not tiring, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to come alongside um, instructors and um, staff members at the university to help them um, to produce what they're trying to produce. Instructional designers, I think, approach it kind of like a lifelong learner. We're, we're working alongside like SMEs who know their subject matter, they're experts in it. And we come in and we help them craft their courses to function better. But at the same time, while we're, we're helping them craft their courses, we're learning all this interesting stuff. Like we wanna know about medieval studies and all of that. It's a free course for us to learn as well. It's, it's fun back and forth. But, okay, so the, you raised some in, important issues here. Dr. Har is a, a prime example. Um, why do educators need to work with instructional designers? What, I mean, so at my previous institution, I taught people how to teach online. What makes, and I'm not an instructional designer. I don't have any degree in it. I've learned a bit, but I'm not an instructional designer. So what makes, what makes important someone that is an instructional designer? I think I have a kind of a quick analogy 
maybe that would fit. It's like we can all cook, right? Like we all know how to eat. We all know how to prepare a meal. But some people go to school to be nutritionists. And if you go to a nutritionist, they're going to help you get the most out of those meals. So, you know, you may have expertise in a certain area, but if you go to an instructional designer, they can help tweak it or give you better insight on what learning theories or uh, applications you can use to enhance your study. That's good. Um, if I could just say something from yeah, a please. perspective of faculty, um, and I don't know, you know, I'm certainly not making a universal statement here, and I'm, I'm speaking from the perspective of what I saw at, at NC State, but um, one of the positives that came out of um, everything being shut down during COVID and everything moving online was giving especially more senior faculty members the opportunity to see how much goes into creating an online classroom. Um, before that, it was, I, I think we get this, it got a sense, and I, I felt this in, in a couple of institutions that um, online learning was not as rigorous, was not as involved, it was easy to put together, you didn't have to show up, you didn't have to wear pants, sorry. Um, but you, you know, all these things that, you, that, that, that people just assumed about online teaching. And once they were in the trenches, not only did they realize that working with instructional designers on online classes was a abs an absolutely necessary resource for universities and institutions, but they realized how much goes into it. And I think especially when you're dealing with uh, graduate assistants and graduate teaching assistants um, who usually get the online classes and are usually you know, regarded as second-class citizens in academia, I was getting a lot of questions from senior faculty members, like, how do you do this? How do you create a discussion board? Uh, because they knew of, of my background. And, um, and I, like I said, you know, there were certainly a lot of negatives that came out of COVID, but that was one that just, I think, the, the, the respect for online teaching, uh, it was, it was uh, you know, it was really boosted um, with, with faculty members who were more, uh, took a more traditional approach to teaching. So, um, Hopefully you felt that as well uh, with with faculty at, at CBU. And, and let me add to that. Um, so at, my background has come from uh, more of a corporate environment. And so one of the things that you see in, in a lot of these organizations is the performance outcomes, uh, building the culture of the organization. And so the, the instructional de designers are, are there to kind of assist with what's the best approach uh, to ensure that we're we're targeting the different learning um, uh, styles in those particular environments. You know, when we look at our courses at CBU, you know, there's we know where the content uh, experts are. That's not us. But what we do bring to the table is is different strategies and different suggestions and recommendations that can then allow us to, you know, beef up or add to what you all, what, what the instructors have already put in place. And so it's kind of like that, that buffering or that polishing uh, coming to us and, and allowing us to help assist in that particular area. And, and I think that's one of the, the greatest uh, benefits of working with an instructional designer here at, U, at CBU as well. And it goes back to what Dr. Har said, when COVID hit, a lot of faculty and instructors and teachers were grasping at straws. Like, how do I get my course online quick? And it's like, okay, well, you know how to make a discussion. How do I make a discussion, right? And then they use that same discussion every week. And by the sixth week that the students are pulling their hair out, and it's like, oh, this is the same repetitive thing. 
well, in comes an instructional designer that's like, let's look at some other ways we can create discussions that might tap on the different parts of Bloom's taxonomy or some of the teaching pathways, like, like John was saying. So it's just an extra resource for faculty to, to tap on to say, hey, look, what else can we do? Like we're, we're accessories to your instruction. Absolutely, absolutely, Scott. Um, one of the things that we're often confronted with distinctives, you know, what makes an institution an institution? You know, what makes NC State different than even CBU? And one of the things I think that, that really distinguishes CBU is this, this Lasallian tradition that is so much a part of who we are. And part of that is, is well, all of it is focused on, uh, John, excuse me, it's focused on the product. You know, it's, it's what we're producing, and it, that happens to be our students. Absolutely. Uh, John, in, in your history, I think just prior to us starting this recording, we talked to you about the use of instructional design. What do you see as the difference from your, from your past, um, the institutions that you were a part of in the past where there was limited instructional design interaction and what you're experiencing in that now? Now, I realize, here's a caveat, you're new here with, with us at CBU and you're just now um, getting your feet wet with us. So it's kind of an unfair question, but perhaps you can share with us a little bit of, of what your experience has been both before and and what you're experiencing now. So I think the, there, there are quite a few parallels. Um, when I look at the, the corporate environment, most of the time they're looking at revenue, uh, how to generate revenue, and they want the information to be as concise as possible. They don't want things to be drawn out or long uh, uh, courses that extend beyond a certain period of time. So you would commonly and regularly see uh, small 15-minute snippets of, of, of high, high, highly intense and highly concentrated information. And I think when we get into the uh, higher ed environment, you know, we're, we're, t we're looking at eight weeks and 16-week courses. So there's quite a bit, quite a bit different uh, of, of, of approach that you'd have to take as an instructional designer. I think when I look at the environments that I've come from, one of the biggest one of the biggest challenges is just understanding what are we trying to accomplish and making sure that it's data driven and it's data uh, um, motivating. So when we look at the outcomes of our product, are we are we designing these particular uh, courses and, and uh, uh, programs? And are we tracking the appropriate data data uh, points to ensure that we are producing what we want to produce? And so one of the things that I've seen here is that we, we do a very good job of, of, of identifying the, the different uh, um, content areas that we want to uh, really uh, focus in on and then making sure that we're tracking it throughout. What I've also seen is that there's quite a bit of uh, flexibility and variety uh, in the types of strategy that you can use in a higher ed environment because you have an extended amount of time versus that very short period of time that you have in your corporate environment because the competing priorities, you know, definitely creates uh, a bit of a disadvantage when you start thinking about how the IDs are used 
in an environment outside of higher education. So one thing that uh, Dr. Hart spoke on earlier was gamification. That's actually a big part of uh, the training in corporate environments because they they know that these aren't individuals that traditionally want to be in in front of a computer all day. So they have to figure out ways to engage them and want them to be engaged. And so for me, that would be something I would love to see uh, tr uh, become more involved in the uh, higher ed environment. And I know that's not what our conversation is about today, but just wanted to put that plug in there. <laughs> Dr. Har, um, we recently mentioned about um, the Lasallian characteristics that um, that we follow here at Christian Brothers University, and two of those that we were looking at when we were thinking about um, your course was that um, one of the first characteristics was reverence for each student as a unique person and really taking that to heart when we're building online courses, and then the second was um, a quality education, providing a quality education to students um, as we're building online courses. So one thing we noticed is that you were you recently um, participated in the online faculty training course that we, uh, the instructional designers teach here um, at the university, and you created a sample course, um, you know, after taking that course. Um, and we were just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your experience um, during that time, and if you could tell us about what went into designing your sample course and why you designed things the way that you did. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, first, I, I, I wanted to challenge myself. So I didn't like recreate an online class. I, I intentionally created an online version of a seated class that I've only taught seated and um, at CBU. Um, so that was the one thing I wanted to do. I wanted to make sure, and, and it worked out well because I'm teaching it online next semester anyway. So it was certainly an, an excellent exercise. Wonderful. Um, so that was one, the, uh, the, the, one of the main reasons for choosing the introduction to literature as, as the online course. When I think, um, and it's not easy to do um, always, uh, when you're trying to think about all the students you might have in an online class. Um, another thing that, you know, when I, when I think about online learning, you can't help but consider the assumptions that people make about um, online learning and online teaching. One of them is um, this idea of access to technology. And we, we often assume that every student, it's so much easier for students to take online classes because they have access to technology, but there's an underlying assumption of privilege there that, that we often neglect in certain, you know, not everyone has a computer, not everyone has a laptop, not, not everyone has Wi-Fi connection. And so what kind of class can I create that alleviates some of that pressure of whether it is hard deadlines, whether it is um, uh, using uh, high-powered, or sorry, um, high-speed internet, what, what can I do to kind of balance that out for students that might not have access to that technology? So that's, that's in the back of my head uh, a lot um, when I'm designing a class, or at least thinking about what I can do for online uh, students. So varying the stuff, as, as it was mentioned before, you know, not just the same old discussion board, you know, making it, making it interesting, varying things, um, you know, stuff that they can do if I, if I want them to submit a recording or a presentation. Can they do it on their phones? Can they do it using, um, you know, uh, resources that are at CBU? 
can they do it in a Starbucks if they need to, if they, if they don't have Wi-Fi connection at home, right? So all of these things um, kind of go into, I try to keep them in, in my mind as I'm creating activities, creating, uh, you know, when I'm uh, creating guidelines for, for activities, um, how understandable is it? How, uh, you know, how, uh, again, and not to overuse the word, but how accessible is it for, for my students? And that's kind of, uh, I know that's a long answer to a, a probably short question or a short one that could have been shorter, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of, uh, what drives, um, my thoughts on online learning. It sounds a lot like critical consciousness, and I don't know if you're aware of, we talked about this yesterday, Paulo Freire, the pedagogy of the oppressed, and works really hand-in-hand hand with the Lasallian values, and you thinking about and taking that extra step to critically think about what populations you may be serving, whether they're ELL learners or have access to technology or a student that has to maybe go to McDonald's to get internet access. It goes a long way in making sure that we're able to reach each student, and that's a, 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 a core uh, Lasallian value in, in meeting those student populations. Yeah, I appreciate that. I love, I love that you both bring that up, um, Scott. Um, populations that he's um, that Dr. Har, you're you're um, purposely trying to reach different populations, and that that leads me to one of the things that I saw in your sample course. Um, is presence. And so I noticed that you had a video in your course. And I just wanted to ask you a little bit about what into what went into creating your video, why you created it the way you did, um, what elements you added into the video and why. Um, for an online course, um, I think it's wonderful because it, it, it allows your presence to speak through. Sometimes I've heard students say, well, I, I don't know what my instructor looked like. I never saw them. I never saw another student. So could you just talk to us a little bit about the video that you added to your course? Absolutely. Um, yeah, after you get enough emails from uh, students that just say hi and or you ask them like who your instructor is and they don't know the name of the instructor, um, you, you kind of realize that it's important to uh, put yourself out there and, you know, make yourself a human and not some, you know, bot on the other side of, a, of an email thread. Uh, so that's, that essentially is, is what kind of pushed me to bring a lot of personal background into the, into the video, um, you know, said making myself seem as human as possible, even though, you know, I'm on a screen. And, um, and I could do more, I could absolutely do more in my classes. And that's, that's something I'm going to, you know, challenge myself to do in, in the spring, is create more of those videos, just check in videos. Uh, again, I don't want my students to just say, oh, here he is at the beginning of the semester. And now we just see what our final grades are. Um, because, the, you know, you want their, you want their experience to feel, you want them to feel valued. And I feel like putting those videos, uh, interacting as much as possible, creating a personality for yourself besides someone who's giving feedback on, on assignments. I think that students then value not only you as an instructor and value the university, but value their time spent in a class that, that they feel mm -hmm. like if you're, if you're putting this kind of effort into these little moments throughout the semester, um, they feel important. Um, and like I said, I, I, I want to do more of that, but that's, that's, that's kind of what, where my thinking was with, with the video. You are spot on there, Dr. Har. What, what you are talking about is exactly 
what online learning is is all about. That's that's faculty engagement with the student. It's we don't like to talk about the the requirement that our accrediting body has on student to student interaction and faculty to student interaction, lest we get into the you know the, the counting. Okay, he interacted once and he hasn't interacted again for two weeks. And so, you know, we slash his pay or, or cut his knees off or do something. But, you know, being able to say that the faculty is engaged with the student does exactly what you just said. It shows the student that, that you value them. So it's, it's, it, that's the Lasallian part. It's understanding the student is is someone that we value. We want we want to equip equip them so that when they leave us, they're prepared to do the job that they want to do. Absolutely, absolutely. We, we should be think the way that we should be thinking about online learning is what if we were to just show up for the first day of class in a seated class, and then the rest of the semester we're just emailing readings, emailing assignments, and we don't ever see our students again. We're just and that, that's how students probably feel on the other side of an online class where there is no presence from the instructor. And I don't blame them for being frustrated. I, I, I agree. I think that 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 speaks to that that characteristic of the uniqueness of each person. You know, just understanding that there are some people that are very extrovert and they're they, they're go getters. They they will engage with anybody. <laughs> and then there are those that are more sit back. I just want to see and I want to observe. So if you don't mind, I just want to add an additional question to that, how do, how do you engage those students that are not as uh, involved in your chat threads? I think um, I've learned to just reach out to students and just say, you know, is everything okay? Is there anything I can do? Is there something that I can, you know, adjust in the class? Um, I'm also not the type of person that puts all the modules out there from the beginning and, and just, you know, I'm always kind of, the syllabus is, uh, is tentative, always. And so, you know, the modules are tentative as well. And as we go, you know, I can, I, I give myself that freedom and flexibility to make adjustments in the, in the way that um, assignments and the way that uh, student engagement is um, certainly assessed. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think the, the reaching out has worked out well. Sometimes you get responses, sometimes you don't. Um, uh, but but it's just that extra step, I think, to, to let students know, again, that you care about them um, and you're not just showing up, punching a time clock or, you know, whatever we use. And, uh, and, they, and you do want them to succeed because that's that's the goal. If once we start losing sight of the, the student success and the reasons why we're in this, uh, you know, this career, this occupation, this crazy world of academia, you know, might as well just, you know, cash out um, because because we're not doing them any 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 service so um, that's that's my I guess that's my my best response so we, we're we're running out of time here we kind of need to move a, just a step along in this discussion um, we understand that it takes a bit to become an instructional designer. So what is, what is it that distinguishes uh, someone who has not had instructional design training and someone that has? What, what are you looking at? What makes an instructional designer? Any of the IDs, or for that matter, Dr. Har, you're welcome to join in on that as well. Well, I just want to jump in <laughs> and start the conversation by saying instructional designer 
Um, and this is something I learned in my program right at the beginning when I started. Um, it can be a very broad term or a very specific term. It just depends on where you are and what you're doing. <laughs> so it, it, there, there are so many parts to it. Um, there's pedagogical training. There's, you know, learning about learning theories. There's um, working with um, t uh, educational technologies and, and LMS platforms and um, assisting with course design and there's visual visual design. Um, there's so many different parts. And so you'll often meet instructional designers that have um, their, uh, their niche. And then um, they also are very broadly trained in other areas. <laughs> yeah, instructional designers are on a wide spectrum. We have, um, like Chantel said, we, we start at the front end with learning theories and then how do we implement those learning theories through technology and then how do we use those technologies to assist someone utilize them then how do we help them build that and how like it's just a different hat every day as the project goes on it's like now that you build it it's on this lms but you know what next year we're changing lms's so throw all that out the window and let's switch to this one and then it was like well all oh, my course was on the last one we got to move it so it's always an exciting and new challenge every day. I do have a question, if I can. Um, and Dr. Hart, I know you've, you've taught for quite a long time. What are some benefits that you can maybe bring to faculty in that maybe they teach a face-to-face, -face, but what do you think they could do to utilize that online presence. So say like Canvas, right? They may just put their syllabus there, but do you see ways that you could use the LMSs to benefit face-to-face -face courses? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, uh, you know, let's not say I've been teaching for a very, very long time, a, a decent amount of time. You're going to age me here. But um, anyway, um, and, I, and I, I will say one thing, just, I, and I'll get to the question, of course, Scott, uh, but um, mm -hmm. one thing that instructional designers probably need to also be our therapist because the amount of times that I've unloaded on a, someone who did not care about what I thought about an LMS. Um, yeah. So you, you've, you know, just, I love canvas. I will say this. My wife was actually on a flight and someone sitting next to her, you know, they were talking and, and she's like, what do you, what do you do? And she's, he's like, uh, I work for blackboard. She's like, Oh, my husband has a lot of things he could say to you. And yes, I'm glad I wasn't on that flight, but, um, to go back to Scott's question, um, I use, I use canvas, uh, for seated classes all the time as, um, as like, uh, reading banks. So I'm a big proponent of not, if, if at all possible, not having students pay for their, their materials. And if we can find public and, you know, they're, there are some sites where I would say, okay, I'm not going to give you this because I cannot legally tell you to go here, but there are places where you can find this text, and if not, we can we can figure out um, uh, you know something that we can do through the library. But um, I, I I really if it's if it's um, there aren't any copyright restrictions or it's public uh, publicly available, I'll give them that rather than uh, make them buy a textbook. Some case in in some cases you, you, it's unavoidable, but for the most part I I don't like them. Um, spending that. So I use it as a little library. Um, I use it for if, you know, certainly if I have to cancel class, uh, there's opportunities there for using the discussion boards. Um, yeah, Canvas and, uh, and uh, a well-designed LMS is a, is a fantastic supplement to online teaching, um, or yeah. sorry, uh, seated teaching. 
we love to hear that because we, we sometimes come against maybe faculty that have a hesitancy to approach technology because I've always done face-to-face, -face, but having them see that it can be a repository and once you build that course once, it's yours. So you could continue to add to it and edit it and bring it in and out. So what are some ways that you think that um, we could in approach instructors to ease that transition into uh, the online world? I think firstly you have to... And I, I don't see it that much as I as I did when I first started teaching, um, where where you did have a pushback against um, digital resources, and it had to be a physical. And you know, I love books. I love holding books. I love you know everything about being in a library. But um, if we go back to the idea of accessibility, and we go back to the idea of having serving all of our students, regardless of you know their circumstances. Um, digital resources are, are great. Again, thinking about, you know, do they have access to the technology to get to those, those resources? Obviously, that goes into the, the thought process and the conversation as well. But um, I think showing faculty that having that repository available for students is, um, like you said, I think, you know, it's, it's reusable. They, it, we teach the same classes over and over again. Why rebuild it? Why restructure it? Um, they're all there. They're ready to go. And students can access the readings, um, you know, on their phones, on their devices, on a, on a computer, whatever. Um, so I think that approach might be useful for a, uh, a traditional faculty member or a, a faculty member that primarily teaches uh, seated classes. I don't know if that's a great answer, but that's the way I look at it. I mean, you know, one thing I say to my students is, you know, I, I give them access to MLA and APA formatting through the OWL at Purdue. And I say, this way, when you're at your next cocktail party and someone says, how do I cite a YouTube video? You are right there on your phone. You can access it. You don't have to carry around your hacker book or, you know, your MLA guidebook. Um, and and I, I highly doubt any of them have done that. But the option is there. So. <laughs> um. I wanted to add something to it, just circling back to the uh, question of, I think, uh, Dr. Hart, you, you hit on some some key, key points. Uh, and An instructional designer comes in and some of the, the things that they bring to the table is one is the mindset, understanding that we're, we're here for support. We're, we're not a dictatorial uh, entity and that's not what here, we're here for. We're, we have trained in different strategies and, op and options to be able to present to you so that you can use us as a resource. Uh, I think that's one of the things that the IDs bring to the table, even yeah. here at CBU, is is you know a blend of technology, a blend of understanding the uh, some of the content, but how can we help you to make the user experience or the student experience in your course uh, the most impactful? And that's where I think the the greatest benefit comes from working with an instructional designer because we can help and assist in those particular areas and do the research that you may not have time to do, then bring those things to the table with you. So. Uh, I think that's what, what I wanted to add to the, uh, the original question. Yeah, absolutely. I, there are things I'm not thinking about. Um, you are experts in this, and I am, I am not. I'm, I am a work in progress every single semester. And so um, if I'm not considering something, or if I'm not even thinking about does this work, because the uh, problem I see, primary problem I see with, with a lot of LMSs is that I don't, exactly know what the student sees or what the student experiences on their end. I can switch it to student view, but there's still, I feel like I'm still not getting everything. Are my email and are my announcements going out as emails? If I'm emailing back through 
the LMS? Is it going to their email or just going right? So there are things that I'm not I, I don't know because I'm not on that side of the of the screen. And that's where instructional designers um, are amazing resources for for faculty members because they can say you can say um, this is not resonating. This is not translating. This is you know this um, you could be doing this. Make this tweak, and this is going to be more impactful. Whether it is anything from text, you know, we think about people who uh, students who don't come from uh, backgrounds with the Roman alphabet as their as their primary uh, language, um, and and what they're used to reading. And those serifs can make a difference. And you know, and that's something that I, I don't think a lot of faculty members might consider not that they are avoiding it on purpose i just don't think they might consider it and that Absolutely. little that little tip has been huge for my students from uh you know from asian specific uh, specifically uh that that the the readability of the of the of the text uh is so much better for them just ma making those small little adjustments so absolutely when it comes to instructional design if it's chunking or fonts or like you said serifs or sans serifs like it all adds to uh the readability the accessibility promoting student learning and engagement the way that you might have the z method of reading a page in the western hemisphere is different from reading it on the eastern hemisphere it's these things that we take into consideration that's not on the cover of say here's my course it's those little bitty theories in the background the f method and the layout of how things are designed on a page that, uh, yeah, just hearing you talk about typography, that, that throws my ears up. This is good. And I, I think we probably need to pull this plane in for a landing. This has been very helpful, uh, Dr. Har. We appreciate it. And one of the things I want to add here is, um, at least here at CBU, our goal is not to interfere with the, with the faculty's teaching, with their content, our goal is to make sure that the student has the best experience possible. That's what this team's focus is. Um, and, and to equip the faculty to do the job that, that they were hired to do. That's, that's what we want to do, is to make it as, as engaging and as fulfilling for the student as it's uh, possible to do. So we, we really do believe that whether you are professionally trained as an instructional designer or have been thrown into this role out of necessity, uh, having a good understanding of the importance of good instructional design, especially for online teaching, but it fits in, in the traditional classroom as well, uh, that it's tantamount for a high quality, highly engaging course. We also believe you, the listener, can incorporate ideas and techniques that are based in the fundamentals of instructional design that will engage your students in the subject that you're teaching. Uh, if you'd like to hear more about this or any of the other topics that we have discussed, both in this uh, podcast and any of the others, please feel free to reach out to us at cdi at cbu.edu. That, again, is cdi at cbu.edu. Um, I wanted to thank our instructional design team. This has been a, an interesting and, and good discussion. A special thanks to Dr. James Har for joining us. Um, it's a pleasure to meet you in this, in this space, and I believe we have a, a whole lot more to learn from you 
than than you do from us. You have you have helped us uh, in this podcast, and and we appreciate it. And perhaps at some point down the line, um, we'll call you back in for more, because I'm sure Absolutely. you're going to continue to develop, and we're we're going to see some really great things out of you. I would love that. Thank you so much. And I just want to thank. Uh, the team for all you do for the faculty, for the university, but especially for our students. It's our pleasure. Thank you so, as well. So for the CDI team, thank you all for joining us. Uh, I hope that you'll uh, come back to uh, journey with us as we seek to bring the LaSallean way online. <laughs>